You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Well, good morning. It's good to have you here again today. And um, on this solemn remembrance of 9-11, I think it's, let's pray, okay? Lord God, um, we want to focus on you today. We know you are our strong fortress, our tower of strength, our refuge in times of trouble. You are and you always will be there for us. And here, you are present right now. We pray that you would inspire us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit today. Breathe in us your breath of life through your word. We ask, Lord, that you would bring about a renewal in this country. We thank you, Lord, for those who have sacrificed so much and given of themselves here. We remember all those who grieve and mourn this day. Um, And even after 15 years, that tragedy and the haunting of that day, we pray for your healing for all. But let we all look to you. Bless our service today, Lord. Keep us in your care. Keep us living towards you and living it up as you see so fit, Lord Jesus, the way that you intended life to be. All this we pray in your name. Amen. It's good to have you here today. You can follow the Sermon Notes on the Bible app, and you can also download from the App Store our iPhone app that has all the sermons and everything in it. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 today. And in this passage, we're going to kind of be working on growing up. And I know I hate that word, maturity maturing, whatever that means, okay? But let's look at this passage, okay? But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So far, our text today that we're looking at. Now, Paul, I don't know if you know too much about Paul. He was one of the most important apostles. He was kind of the unapostle apostle. He was a persecutor of the church. He did all sorts of, he was so strict about his own rule keeping as far as a Pharisee of Pharisees. And then he, everything flipped around when he uh, met Jesus, the resurrected Jesus on the road to uh, Damascus. And uh, he never got married. He was always single, was a tent maker from what we can tell, and then he was a missionary, went everywhere. The church wouldn't be the church that we know today without this particular person. He wrote probably half of the New Testament, almost a lot of the letters. Anyway, he never got married, but he does have kids in a sense. And Timothy, he considered his spiritual son. And if you read First and Second Timothy, you get that kind of father-son feel to it. So whether you are single or married, have children or don't have children, no matter the age, you really can engender life and mentor and be there for people. And some of you do it as an occupation or as a vocation anyways. And I'm just telling you, it's amazing. And so Timothy is receiving this letter from Paul, and Paul wants him to grow, and to grow, as Paul puts it, to mature, and 
how he's going to do it, he says, is to be wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what real maturity is, to grow in faith in Christ Jesus for the sake of salvation. So growing up is really vital. Um, I don't know, like I said, as a child, you probably went to a pediatrician, um, or you still take your kids to pediatric checkups every year, and it's kind of amazing. At those, you learn all sorts of things. They do all sorts of little things. My daughter hates going because she always gets a shot. If they weren't shot, she'd be happy with them. But you know, all those immunizations and everything. Well, one of the things they also do is they check your growth. I don't know. Um, there's a growth chart usually. And if a pediatrician would find out that a child all of a sudden stops growing, you know, from one year to the next, they're along that curve and then all of a sudden, boom. It just, it doesn't matter if they're at the bottom of the curve or the top of the curve, but it's amazing. I could see my two kids and boy, were they different. Justin was at the hundredth percentile the whole way up and he's six foot four at age 16. Emma was at the bottom, <laughs> but she kept growing. And so there was never any extra tests or anything. Everything was normal. But if a pediatrician ever saw a child just stop, or somehow it's like, wait a minute, extra tests might be performed. They'd ask questions about our, you know, eating well, sleeping, exercising. Is this child thriving or not? Now, what's amazing to me is in the Christian church, I don't know, in the church I grew up in, um, it didn't matter if you grew, really. You know, it's kind of like, oh, you're here. <laughs> That's great. Show up a couple times. It's amazing how we don't necessarily look at being a member of a church is like, of course, we're on a growth path. So if someone does not grow up in the church, we don't think it's abnormal at all. We think it's normal. And so have you ever seen a picture of a man baby, though? <laughs> Something seems odd about that, doesn't it? Why do we think that that's okay in the Christian life, okay? So Paul is laying out the method for growth in Christianity here. You can take that picture. That's scaring me. Get it out of here, okay? And we learn from this passage as well as even in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 2, 42, we see how the disciples were growing, and it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves to what the apostles were teaching. And you know what the apostles were teaching? The life, the teachings of Jesus, his miracles, everything that was about Jesus and his death and his resurrection. And they kept focusing on it. And the apostles were learning and the people were learning of that. And in this passage, Paul was saying about Timothy that the scriptures themselves make you wise unto salvation. Okay? Now, there's a huge tendency in Christian churches um, to, at this point in time, talk about the Word of God, the Scriptures, and kind of get our Bibles out and start thumping it at people, you know, and woo, we're going to just whack them over the head and say, the Holy Word of God, it is inspired, infallible, inerrant, to do, to do, to do, to do. Have you ever had people preach at you like that? I don't know how effective that is. I'm not even sure what it really accomplishes. It's like we're trying to defend and proclaim and then complain about modernism and secularism and every other ism that we could think of and just doing that. Now, there's an, and I just don't think that works, okay? 
That's not what the scriptures were intended to be used for. Nor were they, you know, now there are other churches that I've seen, kind of the hip, trendy churches that try to say, hey, look at how relevant the Bible is. And Jesus could just fit into our coffee shops of today. You know, he's just totally with it and relevant. And I think that's also a misnomer or a misuse of the scriptures. I love what uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said back in the 1930s. He says, don't try to make the Bible relevant. Its relevance is axiomatic. Do not defend God's word, but testify to it. Trust the word. It is a ship loaded to the very limits of its capacity. So that's what we're going to try to do today. We're not going to sit here and just give you apologetic reasons of why the Bible is boom, 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 or say, hey, look at how relevant it is. Look at this Jesus. We're going to just kind of make him over so that he fits into today. We don't, the question isn't the relevance of the Bible. It's really the relevance of my life in the light of the Bible. A lot of my life is irrelevant. (laughs) It's not that purposeful. It needs to be aligned with what's going on with God's word. It's not a question of defending, but it's proclaiming and actually letting the scriptures have their way with me. And that's what we're going to look at. So in 2 Timothy, I think we learn these four things. First of all, the scriptures, their particularity, then their power, then their purpose, and finally, their practice. So those are the four points that we're going to look at. First, their particularity. Now, Paul states in this text that all scriptures are breathed out by God, that the ESV says the word is actually theopneustos. Okay? That is theo, for theo is God. And pneustos, have you ever heard of pneumat- you know, um, pneumonia? That's where the word pneumonia comes from. It's for the lungs. It's breathing, okay? So he's saying that God's word is unlike anything else because the scriptures are breathed into or breathed out. God breathes them out and gives them something. They're unlike any other. What does that really mean? You know, we use the word inspiration. Like, wow, that sunset is so inspiring or that music inspires me, or that person's life inspires me, or I am so inspired by. That's kind of a weak version of this. I think it really comes down to, here's another one, a graphic illustration of what God did in Genesis chapter 2. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So, God breathed into Adam, and he came to life. Paul says God breathed in the scriptures, and they, became, they become life-giving words. They're alive. I almost wanted to find that um, Harry Potter video of when he's trying to track down that book that just keeps moving around and... Sh- you know, because really when you open the scriptures up, they are alive and they are ready to interact with you in a way that nothing else is like it. And he's saying that the word of God, which at the time that Paul wrote this to Timothy, it was the Old Testament because they really hadn't written down much of the New Testament at that point in time. He says the, oh, it's the inspired word of God to bring you wise to salvation in Jesus Christ, which we'll get to that in a moment. But That is an astonishing statement because have you read the Old Testament lately? 
oh my goodness, I've been going through, I think I went through First and Second Kings now in the Chronicles, Ezra and Nehemiah lately, and then through the book of Judges, and then into Samuel, and it's like, oh my goodness, it's filled with raunchy people, okay? People that are broken and messed up and jacked up and doing the weirdest things sometimes. And these stories are like, I cannot believe this. This is not stuff I was taught in Sunday school. I don't know, and I'm not hoping we're teaching some of this. I mean, I can't believe how broken and messed up these, and yet Paul is saying, these scriptures are breathed in by God. They've got this, he's able to, and God uses the most amazingly broken people to tell his story. And, and, and there's real grace in that. There's power in that. It's not like you, the Bible is filled with good people getting better. It's filled with broken and messed up and sinful people being saved and forgiven and restored and renewed and then used by God. You don't find a hero in the Bible except for the one who is God himself and his son Jesus Christ. There is no one else that really can stand up and you find they're pretty well messed up. I love how Stanley Hauerwas and... Um, Will Willimon stated in their book they wrote together called Resident Aliens, he said, Scripture is an account of human existence as told by God. In Scripture, we see that God is taking the disconnected elements of our lives and pulling them together into a coherent story that means something. Okay? He's saying this from beginning to end is really one story, and you are starting to get integrated. When you read the scriptures, all these particulars start to come together, and your life of all these particulars start to come together. And I think that's what's amazing, because the Bible's actually not a book. It is a library. It's a library of 66 different books, okay, that all have particular authors and with their own personalities that are coming out in all of these works and some are poetry and some are um, even romance and there is um, there are prophecies and histories and stories and all of this stuff that all comes together so that there's one overarching story together in all 66 books. And they're written over the course of from about 14, 1500 BC to 100 AD and yet over 1500 years in different cultures by different people, there's still one story that's all connecting them together. God's interaction with human beings Restoring and renewing this earth and our lives. Salvation in Jesus Christ. So these words keep speaking life. He takes the very, he doesn't override human beings. He doesn't possess them in such a way that they just become automatons when they wrote it. But they actually, he uses their brokenness, their personality, their weakness, their particularity. And it becomes God's word at the same time. There's something to be said but that way, and we're going to get to that at the end, about how God works in our lives too. And so, we get in finite words having an infinite God behind them. And I think that comes to the word, the power, our point two. The power of this word is unlike any other book that I've ever read. 
or I think you. It's not just information. It's not just truth. There's more to it. Acts 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hey, you read the Bible, it's kind of like having surgery. You open it up and watch out, it will open you up. Okay? It's not simply factual information. It's not just truth laid out and then whether you take it or leave it. It actually comes at you as a living word. So when you read the scriptures, you don't really inspect the scriptures. The scriptures inspect your life. You don't really interpret the scriptures. The scriptures interpret your life. You want to learn more about yourself? Learn more about your God who he is, what he's done, what he says of you, and you will learn who you are too, okay? The Spirit works in such a way that it's not just information. It is a holy God who encounters you in these words, in these stories, with these broken people, and you become part of that story. You're right caught up into the middle of it. So another way of saying this it's kind of like surgery, and that is also saying that God's word is performative. I don't know if you've ever heard, thought of it that way. So when God speaks in Genesis chapter 1, let there be light, he doesn't have to go over and flip a switch. He doesn't have to do anything. His words create light. When Jesus, in his own life, when he says to the storm that's just raging around him on the Sea of Galilee, Silent, be still, it didn't take 10 minutes to get there, it immediately was still. When he calls out and opens the tomb of Lazarus and says, Lazarus, come forth, that stinking four-day-old corpse walks out of the grave. That's God's word. It does what it says and says what it does. So when the Bible says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, you were, and you have been made alive in Jesus Christ, you are. It's a performative word. Unlike my words that don't get done, you know, kids, clean up your room, you know, I'm planning on and I don't. God's word accomplishes what it says. So it can actually put you to death and bring you to life. It says exactly that. The word that Paul uses in Timothy to Timothy says it's ma- it makes you able. That word there is really dynamis again. It's the word for dynamite. It empowers you to believe and empowers and equips you for every good work. And that gets to the purpose. Scripture is a power with a purpose. And the purpose of the Scriptures is not to justify what I already believe and what I want and my actions. And it's not to beat other people up over the head with. And I've seen too many people do those things. Jesus talks about the scriptures himself. He says what they're really about. In John chapter four, he sa- five, he says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet re- you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And he's basically saying the whole purpose of the scriptures from Genesis all the way through, the whole Old Testament is testifying about me, pointing to me. 
when the disciples, after the resurrection, these two guys are leaving Jerusalem, going back home to, to Emmaus, and they're just like, just really disappointed because Jesus is dead. Now there's a rumor about him and we don't know anything. And Jesus meets them on the road and he opens up and it says, he opens up the whole of scripture and he shows them how it all fits in with what he was about. And you find out the purpose of the scriptures is to promote Jesus Christ, to show Jesus Christ, to present Jesus Christ, to focus on eliciting faith from you in Jesus Christ. And that's when we're using it properly. Okay? And that's why Paul says it's profitable. Okay? It's profitable for teaching. He says, you learn about who God is. And when you learn about who your God is, you learn about who you are. How do I know who I really am? Now, I can do all sorts of things and take all sorts of personality tests and everything, and they may tell me about me somewhat. But if I really want to know who I am, I need to know whose I am. And I find that by being caught up into the stories of the scriptures. I can see myself in so many of the different biblical characters who were a mess. And I can see that in my life as well. And I learn who I am. And I also learn what God does. And how he'll even use a broken person like me. So it's profitable for teaching, not information, but teaching me the real important lessons of life. It's profitable for reproof and correction, he says, and I know I don't like that. Ouch. So the Bible kind of contradicts what I want. Have you ever noticed that? Now you have a choice to make. What you want or what the Bible is saying, you know? We've struggled with that. Over the years, we've struggled with it in many ways. There's been a question. In the time of the Reformation, 500-ish years ago, the question was, how in the world does, what's the relationship between the scriptures and traditions? And at the time, it seems like traditions were winning. You know, if the traditions were there, hey, they interpret the scriptures. And the assertion was made, no, it's scripture, scriptura, sola scriptura, scriptures alone. Okay, and that was set up, and it seemed to be sort of settled, and then came the Enlightenment. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but during the Enlightenment, the question was, what's the relationship between the Scriptures and reason? Because a lot of people started saying, hey, well, wait a minute, there's a da-da-da-da, and they were starting to, instead of being a servant, reason being a servant to the Scriptures, reason became the master and started inspecting the Bible. Like I said, you don't inspect the Bible, the Bible inspects you. And then... Recently, I would say, it's not that we haven't worked out the relationship between tradition and Scripture or between reason and Scripture, but now the question is the relationship between my experience and Scripture. Now, I don't know if you've seen people talk about it this way, but I, I have, well, wait a minute, yeah, I know maybe the Bible says that, but you know, I've experienced, have you ever heard that? Maybe you've said it yourself. But wait a minute, I kind of think this is, this is working for me. If you don't let the scriptures contradict you, what kind of a God do you have if a God can't come to you and say, wait a minute, things are out of alignment here, you know? 
Tim Keller says, then you have a Stepford God. I don't know if you remember the Stepford wives. They were basically robots that, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. Is that the kind of God you want? A God who just, yes, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. Who's in charge? The relationship I have with the scriptures in the end is that I'm under them. My reason, yes, I've got reason. My personality and experience, yes, I've got it. I love traditions, Christmas and Easter and all that stuff, but they all have to play the role of servant. And the scriptures have to be above and beyond the source, the end all of where we get everything from. They take precedence over my experience, over what I want, over what I think, and over what others have done before. Okay? And Paul says it's profitable for training in righteousness. Not just training. This is not about Bible trivia and winning some trivia award, okay? Knowing all sorts of stuff about it. This is really training in righteousness means that you put it into practice. It means that I get, cha- I get challenged by the scriptures, and then I get changed by the scriptures. And it's usually in that order. And that does lead us to that fourth P, their practice. So Timothy, elsewhere in the book says, and in First and Second Timothy, that he learned all this from his grandmother and his mother, that they were faithfully teaching him the scriptures throughout. He didn't learn, he is not self-taught. I think that's actually an a oxymoron. No one is really self-taught. Even if you study books, you're learning from the person who wrote the book. Have you ever thought of it that way? You know, being truly self-taught, you'd have to live on your own planet and learn everything for the first time. There's a lot to learn from others. That's why we've got home huddles. We're not self-taught. We are gathering together. We're creating a place where we let the scriptures, let God interpret our lives, tell us who we are, what we're about, and we encourage one another, pray for one another, and learn and keep going back to the scriptures again and again to say, hey, is this where we're at? What is God teaching us, we ask, and what am I going to do about it? So Paul, or Jesus said this at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He tells this parable of, you know, the guy who builds his house on the rock and the one who builds it on the sand. And if you read that, the difference between the two of them is not that one hears and one doesn't hear. They both hear God's word. One puts it into practice. One applies it and the other doesn't. And so, their practice. Bonhoeffer again, he said it this way, One cannot simply read the Bible like other books. One must be prepared really to inquire of it. And I think he's meaning there to pray over it. Only thus will it reveal itself. Only if we expect from it the ultimate answer shall we receive it. This is because the Bible speaks to us. And one cannot simply think about God in one's own strength. One has to inquire of him. Only if we seek him will he answer us. So we get to equip with every good work. 
And when we are inquiring of the Bible, we're really asking these two questions in our home huddles, in any study, anytime you read the scriptures, what is God inviting me to learn and what am I going to do about it? How am I putting it into practice? This book is like none other. And I think as you do this, here's what you're going to learn. See, it's not just about the scriptures particularity or the purpose or their power or their practice, you learn your particularity, that God made you, that God uses your personality, that he will use your brokenness, that he will use your weaknesses, that he will display his glory in you, that he loves you, he accepts you, he forgives you, he does everything for you. You learn that you are the center of that story, and you are the center of his story, and just as he used all these other people that were a mess, he can use you too, and he does. You become an inspiration to others, and then you find out your purpose, or your power as well. The power that in the midst of weakness, God does amazing things. Or as in Ephesians chapter 5, it says it this way, but everything exposed to the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes light. Paul is saying even the dark stuff and the stuff that's yucky and the stuff we'd like to hide from, God can use it when it's brought out into the light. I have loved, loved, loved the personal testimonies that we have heard here in this series, just a couple of them that we have heard. Because what's amazing about him is how inspirational when the weaknesses, the difficulties, the struggles, whatever is displayed, how God worked in somebody's life, we see the power of that testimony to encourage and to focus on others. It don't, it's just amazing when that happens. And every one of us, God is, has a personal, powerful, particular message to speak to this world. And you will find your purpose, which is to bring the word of salvation, the fullness of God's saving work, his love, his mercy, and grace to others, to glorify God, to serve others in whatever way that is. It's amazing. And that's, you'll also find your practice, how you can grow up into, you can mature into Jesus Christ. You know, I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you're still feeling like the man baby. Okay, where um, you've grown up maybe emotionally or physically, but spiritually not so much. Some of you might feel like, um, well, I'm just, I don't even know who this is, this God is that you've been talking about. I have heard about him, but I don't really know him, and I don't even know where to start. I mean, I've opened the Bible before, but that, play, that thing, yeah. It's just, it's confusing to me. This doesn't have to be monumental. Oh, he's asking us to read the whole Bible in like a week. But it can be revolutionary. Five minutes. Open up the Psalms. Just prayers themselves. People just pouring out their hearts. Open up like a gospel like John or Matthew or Mark or Luke and just start reading about Jesus a little and just asking questions. What's going on here? What is Jesus up to? It can be revolutionary because you will see 
And you will find your purpose and your particularity and the power that you have as you practice, as you go along with it. Because you will find out that that word theopneustos, okay, God will breathe into your life wherever you happen to be. He will inspire you and make you an inspiration to others. That's the point of the scriptures. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask you to open your word up to us. Have us gather around in huddles, gather with you, and that you'd reveal yourself to us as we read, as we see our particularity. I pray, Lord, for those who yet don't quite know where to even start. I pray that you would just um, have them start with you and you show yourself fully to them today, that we can live it up. For those who have been around for a long time and know all the stuff, Lord, but somehow have grown cold in their relationship to you, uh, Lord, I ask that you would revive them and breathe into them your life. And for all of us, Lord, who know that in some ways we haven't grown up enough, we pray that you would um, mature us now through your word, that we see just how amazing you are. All this we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name this day. Amen.